So it was 2010, I was getting on an airplane about one in the morning to fly to, Manau- uh, to, to fly to Brazil, to Brasilia, Brazil. So we got on the plane, me and a team, we had all kinds of drugs with us. Literally, we're a medical missions team and we were loaded down with medicine. And we were ready to go down and to um, do a medical clinic for a week. So as we were <clears throat> taken off, everything went well and one o'clock in the morning, so I adequately dosed myself with NyQuil and fell asleep. About four o'clock in the morning, there was a large tremor on the airplane. And the pilot came over the intercom and all these, you know those emergency lights that you've never seen lit? Everything comes on. And the pilot goes, do not be alarmed, but we've lost an engine. And we're going to have to make an emergency landing in Caracas, Venezuela, which I think was the closest airport to us at that time. And so we land, and the landing was a little bumpy, and there was, there was all kinds of sirens and vehicles all around us in Caracas. Now, the next morning, Debbie, it was a Saturday night, Debbie showed up at church, and she hadn't heard anything from us at that point, or from me specifically, and she walks in the building and people say, did you hear their plane went down? <laughs> so, sorry about that, babe. Uh, I'll call you. I think I've done better since, sort of. And so, I remember the feeling when the, we heard that sound, the, the plane, it, you know, the, the engine has gone out. You know, I think for us in the Christian life, there is this great tragedy the, the plane is going down. There's been an announcement over the intercom system. God's word is screaming it. Danger, danger, danger. This thing, the ship called your life, is going to crash. And without help, without leadership, without salvation, without deliverance, you are going to crash with it. See, I I believe, again, the warning has gone off. The plane is going down. And there's this dual truth, right? There's this dual truth. And this dual truth is that one that we need to wake up, wake up and recognize that there are real evil forces against each and every one of us in this world. Now, if you haven't been with us before, this is when in a sermon, if you could help a preacher out, you can say things like, amen, right on. I can get down with that preach it, whatever it is that you want to say, you can say that, it'll help me out today. And so there's a real evil around us in this world. And we want to act like there's not real evil. Everything's going to be good, right? Cross my fingers. I'm just going to kind of live my life and come over here. There's a real evil against us in this world. And we see it all around us all the time. And there are real temptations that are grabbing us and ensnaring us and capturing us in a way that we kind of, again, push away and act like it's not happening. So the question is this morning, will you, will we wake up, get into the real fight? Because whether we like it or not, you're in a fight. And if you don't learn how to fight, 
you're going to lose. So if you will, stand with me this morning in honor and reverence of God's word. We're going to continue reading together the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to finish this morning in the section on temptation. So if you will, let's read together the Lord's Prayer this morning, starting in Matthew 6, 9, which reads, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we pray this morning and we ask that you would teach us what it means, what, what surrounds us in regards to temptation. Lord, that you would teach us what it means have serious opposition against our life, true evil. Lord, we need you. We pray you teach us today. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if you're following with me in the notes on the back of your bulletin, the first thing that we see in the passage this morning is just simply this, the battle of temptation. The battle of temptation. It says again, lead us not into temptation. Now, this is going to be kind of two parts of this text. The first is lead us not into temptation. The second is deliver us from evil. So lead us not into temptation. What's that about? That's about you. It's about me, right? Lead me not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation, meaning that there's a real force against me that is coming, tempting me towards something. So what is this saying about the source of our, our, our temptation? It is not saying that God tempts us. That's not what it's saying. James 1.13 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So again, this isn't God tempting us. So what is it saying? That, that we are tempted. And really the prayer, when we pray this, is saying, please help me. Turn to your neighbor and just say, please help me. Just say it out loud this morning. All right. Getting humble in here today. Okay, and so it's saying we are tempted, please help me. And, and so the essence of this is not that God tempts us, it is don't let us succumb to temptation. Don't abandon us in temptation. Don't let us get sucked into temptation in life. So temptation, maybe some other words to help us grab it, is to allure, entice, seduce, draw, pull away from something that is better. Don't let us, again, get sucked into it, allure, entice, seduce, draw, pull. So I might say it like this. My definition is, is temptation is what, what happens in temptation is we, when we succumb to it, when we give ourselves over to it, we disregard God in per, pursuit of something momentarily, lengthily, or permanently, we have perceived better or more joyous than him. So I'll say it again that we disregard God in pursuit of something momentarily, lengthily, or permanently that we have perceived better or more joyous than him. So to pray this prayer, right, to pray, lead us not into temptation, right? We must possess some things. One thing we must possess is a recognition that I am being tempted, that you are being tempted, a recognition that there is something, things in this world enticing us to disregard the one we love. 
Do you believe that this morning? That there is something tempting us away. And another thing, in order to pray this prayer, we must possess a desire to honor God with our lives. That's something that no one else can define for you. In your heart and in your life, do you desire to honor God? To love him, to serve him, that your life would be in response to worship to what he has done. Maybe even a little different, to pray this prayer, we must possess a heart that is grieved at the thought of dishonoring the one I love. A heart that is grieved at the thought of dishonoring the one I love. We have a Savior who loves us more than we could ever think, dream, imagine that a God who loves us so much that he was willing to give his only son for us. And somewhere in our hearts, lead us not into temptation as a prayer of saying, God, I do not want to dishonor you with my life. I don't, know, I don't want to dishonor you with my hands. I don't want to dishonor you with my lips. I don't want to dishonor you with my life. I love you. Or maybe even add to this, I love you more than whatever that might be for you. The other night I was putting my little four-year-old to bed. <clears throat> now, Karis is, she's super cute. Like, I mean, the cutest four-year-old I know. And uh, she'd gotten in trouble during the day, which is sad when a four-year-old gets in trouble because she's so cute. But she got in trouble and she had to go to bed five minutes early. <clears throat> that was kind of the kind of, that's our summer thing. You disrespect, you speak ugly, whatever, five minutes early. So she's going to bed five minutes early. And so um, she's weeping, um, like big time crying because she wanted to stay up. And so she's going to bed just five minutes early. And so she's, we're not terrible parents. And so we're putting her in bed. I'm putting her in bed. <clears throat> and as she's, she's really, really crying hard. And I prayed for her. And I said, do you want me to sing you a song? And so she's like sobbing. She goes, please sing Jesus loves me, right? This, like, I think she wanted to make sure that was true still because she'd been so disobedient. And then we did this, like, I love you more than thing. And she told me after this kind of reconciliation that Jesus still loved her, she said, Daddy, I love you more than three scoops of ice cream, which is pretty significant, right? Like, that's pretty significant moment where, I mean, have you ever had three Scoops of ice cream, so much, especially for that little body. And so, you know, but I think in her heart, one of the reasons she was super upset is she, she was embarrassed and she didn't, she doesn't want to dishonor her mom and dad. And that's kind of like childlike faith. How does that work with you and God? Temptation is all around us. And I, I could define it this morning, but honestly, I don't think I actually have to do that in this room. You, you know what you're tempted by, what you're drawn to more than anything else. And it, again, it doesn't have to be these just actual things. Sometimes gossip is as much of a temptation as anything else. It's the words out of our mouth, the slandering of another. Sometimes it is these other pursuits and pleasures in life that we run after. But what is it for you? And if you're like most of us, it's not like one thing, it's things. So when we say, lead us not into temptation, how do we do that? Well, 
I believe it starts with a person, a man or a woman, who has been caught up in the grandeur and the holiness and the grace of what our God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And our hearts love him so much, more than anything else, that we want to honor him in our flesh. See, I, I believe the Christian faith and can be done in two ways. You can be a very religious person and very religious people do things for Jesus out of obligation. That's how that works. Simple of it. But people whose hearts have been transformed by Jesus, when his love has invaded our hearts and lives in such a deep way, it's almost out of this place of grief is I do not want to dishonor you anymore, my flesh but I want to honor you because of what you have done for me. Never losing sight of the cross, but always seeing the wonder and the glory of my Savior and what he's done. The second thing that we see in the text, simple, is the reality of evil. The reality of evil. So we see the battle of temptation, lead us not into temptation, and then, but deliver us from evil. The reality of evil, the opposition we have, And really, this text could be translated in two ways. Deliver us from evil or the evil one, which are synonymous. All evil is from him, the evil or the evil one. So who is this evil one that is against us? Well, we see in scripture from the moment he comes onto the scene in Genesis, through all of his time and still happening today, he is the deceiver and he is full of lies. God is full of truth. And Satan is full of lies. John 8, says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own nature. Have you ever known someone who always lies? What do you begin to do with the person who always lies? Do you never believe them? Right? This is who Satan is. He is the one who always lies. It is his, it is his nature to do so. And... We see, we know that he is behind every temptation that, for, that, that comes at us in life. So behind every ten, temptation, he is speaking in the, even this text, and we see him throughout scripture, he speaks. Him and his demons and the evil forces in this world, they speak and they say things, sin. And so we see the speaking into, the sin in mind, listen to me. Behind every temptation, even feelings about self, is you are not worthy, you are not good enough, you weren't created with dignity. Lies about where happiness will be found. If you chase after this, if you chase after that, if you go toward this, you will find joy. Eat of the tree. God is withholding from you. Was his first lie. So Satan, right, the evil one, he is the tempter. So he's not only the deceiver, he's the tempter. And he attempts us, I I would say, in two main ways. He opposes us to worship God. The one thing that he wants more than anything in your life is to not worship God, to not exalt him, to not bring him honor, to not bring him glory, to not praise him with your lips, to not speak of his profound goodness and the, 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 the grace that he brings. He opposes us in worship of God. Second, he supports us in our pride. What he says in our pride is, go for it. You are awesome. You are unbelievable. Your opinion matters more than anyone else's. Speak to it. Go after those people. Take them down. 
feel better about yourself, feel bigger about yourself because you are the center of the universe. The scripture is clear that we are not the center of the universe, that our God, he is the center of of the universe and it is about us letting loose of our lives, grabbing a hold of him, being crucified to Christ that we may no longer live, but Christ who gave himself for us might live in us. Satan is a tempter. He opposes us to worship God and he supports us in our pride. So what is the need we have to be delivered from evil? We, we need to be delivered from sin, from our world. All around us is pressing in with evil upon our lives, with temptation upon our lives, to, to, to disregard God, to run after your pride, put yourself at the center of the world. We need delivered. And second, we can't do it on our own. We cannot deliver ourselves. We need a redeemer. We need a deliverer. We need one to renew us. We need one to redeem us. We need one to restore us. We need someone to step in on our behalf. And someone has. His name is Jesus Christ. We sang it this morning. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. We have a need to be delivered from the evil of this world. And we are not stronger in ourselves from the evil one. Say that again. We are not. You are not in and of yourself stronger than the evil one. But Christ, if he lives in you, he is stronger than the evil one. He can overcome. But in and of ourselves, we cannot overcome without him. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says this. For the weapons of our warfare... are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There are evil thoughts and evil intentions that are going to come to our minds and our lives and our goal, our life, is to shut it down. So there was a... preacher and I heard him tell this story and I thought it kind of fit with this pretty well. He was going in to take his wife. She had eye problems and um, they went to the doctor and he'd kind of scheduled his day and he'd put her appointment in the middle of it. And so they go in and um, <clears throat> as the eye doctor looked at her eyes, he said, we have to have a major surgery right now. If we don't, she could easily lose her eyesight today. So immediately they rushed her into the back, right? And they began surgery and he's sitting out in the lobby. And as he was sitting there, there was a thought that popped into his mind. The thought that popped into his mind was this. She is really messing with my day today. I had all kinds of plans and I don't even know how I'm gonna cancel all this stuff. This This really jacked up my day. Now we can like feel bad we can like go, oh, that terrible man. But you've had those thoughts too. And what I would say is, and then he goes on to say, but the second I had that thought, I shut it down. And he said, <clears throat> reality was, is it did mess with my day, but my wife was more important. And I had a savior who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. And if he would give himself and be present for me in the ways in which he has, I can easily be present with my wife today. He spoke the gospel into his own heart. And in that moment, in that moment, he was present 
because he readjusted his heart and his mind and his attitude. There's a misconception in the Christian life that a good Christian never sins, never struggles, never is tempted by evil, and nothing ever bad comes their way. And the more you walk down that road, the closer you get to Jesus, the less struggle you have. I would pose to you this morning, I think the closer you get to Jesus, the more you kill thoughts. The more you shut down the evil and the wicked that surrounds you, the quicker you push away temptation. But evil and temptation are never going to escape us in this world in which we live. And the question is, not for you and me, is do you ever shut it down? When those thoughts come into your mind, because maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but just like that preacher, I, I've had those same thoughts. I've become excessively selfish in a moment I shouldn't have. So the Christian life isn't about being perfect, but it's about taking 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 seriously. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That when it comes, we shut it down. There are temptations and they are real. There are forces against us that are real and we can act like they don't exist or we can live in reality. And the reality is they do exist. And might we use the gospel, the good news of Jesus to speak into everyone to shape our hearts toward him. So the text, again, fairly simple. There's a battle of temptation in our lives and, and there's a reality of evil that surrounds us all day, every day. So what are the tools for the battle that God has given us to fight this fight well? Well, the first is family. This is the, the family of God that he has given us one another to help and encourage one another down this road as temptation and evil are coming in our lives. We need each other. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, tell him this morning, I need your encouragement. Tell him that this morning. <clears throat> right, this is something that we need. The Bible exhorts us, compels us, tells us to do this. Did you know that the Bible says to encourage one another? Did you know that? Did you know the Bible says to exhort one another? It tells us to, to be there for each other, to come alongside each other, to lift each other up. Hebrews 3.13 says, exhort one another as long as it is today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin grabs us more tightly when we disregard family we are not encouraged, when we are not encouraged in the faith. See, I, I believe that the, the family of faith can, there's three things in, in which you can do to be family to others. One is simply this, is presence. To, to literally be present in some people's lives. To show up when hardship happens. To be a voice that speaks into their life, life. To say things like, hey, when you did this the other day and I saw it, that really encouraged me. Hey, the way you are with your kids, the way you are with your wife, the way you work diligently, the way you provide, the way you do this, the way you do that, this encouraged me. And for years, we would do these small group trainings. And one of the things that we do in these trainings is we would literally just say, hey, let's encourage each other in the room. So let's just speak life into each other, things that we've noticed in ways to, you know what happens when you ask that question? The room gets really quiet. Like, okay, this is weird, so I'm, I'm gonna... Hey, we don't know what to do because we don't do it. If I, now if I ask this question, hey, here's uh, Bill. We're going to have him leave the room. Let's talk bad about him. 
Everybody be like, oh gosh, man, let me tell you about Bill. The other day, saw him, like, he, he got out of the car before his wife and walked to the, she, he didn't wait for her. What a jerk, right? Like, it's easy to bash people because it's our nature. It's what we do. That's the evil. That's temptation. And when we bash people, what we do is we just exalt ourselves a little bit higher and say, I'd never do that. I'd never leave my wife at the car. I'm way better of a man than Bill is. It wasn't anything but just self-grandizing. We put down to build ourselves up. But encouragement, this is of the spirit of God. And this is when we intentionally say, man, I'm here today to build people up. I exist so that people wouldn't be pushed down, but they'd be brought up. Who doesn't want to be around encouraging people? Anybody? Some I don't, but they're a little too encouraging. But, but <clears throat> I love it. We pray in the back room before service every week, and there's a guy right here. And every week, right before he leaves the room, he looks me dead in the eyes, and he says, Ryan, I love you. I love your family. I'm so glad you're here. I could, I could tell you the whole thing he says every week. One of the best, best moments of my week is when I have life spoken into me by that man. And I know it's coming every week. And he says nearly the same thing. Now it's going to get awkward because now when he does it, I just said it out loud in front. <laughs> but being present, saying things. And another is, is bridges. Building bridges strong enough to bear the weight of truths in our lives. That I build bridges with people. I build trust with people. Because the reality is, is we can't just encourage each other all the time. Sometimes to love each other, we have to speak into each other's lives. But in order to speak into each other's lives, we have to have a, a relationship strong enough to bear the weight of the truth that we're about to give out. And so if there's someone that I need to speak to, I can't just flippantly go in and say, brother, you stink at this. I feel like you're falling to this temptation. You need to deal with it, dude. There's a relationship that's been built that's strong enough to say, hey man, I love you. Do you believe that? Yeah. And I want to encourage you today, as I do much of the time, but I see this one area in your life, and man, I'd, I'd really like to walk you through it because I feel like it's an area where you're falling to temptation and I love you enough to not let you stay walking down that road. A bridge that bears the weight of truth with people. And then third, again, this, this presence that, I, that I'm there. And then third, the first bridge is strong. And then simply that, that I am kind of a Barnabas in other people's lives, as we say in the church, an encourager in all that I say and do. Family. With family, we can run through walls together. Second tool for the battle is truth. Truth. So turn to your neighbor and tell, ask him this. Just, just say this to him today. Help me walk in truth. Turn to your neighbor and say it to him, help me walk in truth. All right, you asked him. Here we go. So, <clears throat> so we know this text, right? John 14. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. See, the word of God is the truth. The truth in all matters, in all things, pertaining to our life, pertaining to godliness, pertaining to, to this world. So the word of God is truth. So it is a, the full revelation of God to us. John 17, 15 says this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. 
meaning that the evil one is present in this world. They are not of the world. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are no longer of this world. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And just as I am not of the world, Jesus is not of this world. So this is the verse, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We need the truth of God's word to shape us and mold us and how to live and how to go about life because we cannot do it on our own. And God's word is much more than a rule book. It's much more than a map. These are insufficient ways to speak about God's word. God's word is everything. And if we ever go against God's word, we'll be deceived and led down roads and valleys that God did not intend for us. We need the truth of God's word in our life. We need his truth. I'll tell you, the greatest truth, I believe, one of these like golden nuggets of scripture, it's all through the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this. And we all now, with unveiled faces, beholding the Lord's glory, are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Jesus said it like this in John 15.5. Abide in me, and I in you, and you will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apostle Paul wrote it like this in Colossians 3. He said, seek the things that are above. Set your heart, set your mind on things that are above. That's one through four. Verse five says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, anger, wrath, malice, and goes through this huge list of sins. And then in 12, the text transition, it says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and meekness. Titus says it like this. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live living righteous and holy lives in this present age. Sin is a problem with our eyesight. We will live in lies. We will go against the ways of God when Jesus and the cross isn't fixed before us, when we are not beholding him, fixing our eyes on him, abiding in him, seeking and setting our mind on him, being trained by him. When we lose sight of Jesus, we will run toward things we ought not run to. In almost every angry instance that I've experienced in my life, Toward me, I've experienced someone who has lost sight of Jesus. Anger is sin. I don't know about you. I've had a few angry moments in my life. Preacher confessed this morning, right? And when I do, I've lost sight of Jesus. Because I deserve the wrath of God. And the wrath of God has been cooled toward Ryan Johnston because God gave his only son on the cross for me. I hope to never act in such a dishonoring way to my savior because he wouldn't act that way toward me, right? He loved me so much that he gave himself up on the cross. Family, truth, and then last, identity. Identity, seeing ourselves rightly Seeing ourselves rightly before God. So I'm going to have you turn to your neighbor this morning. One more thing you're going to say to him is say, you're going to say, I am free in Jesus Christ. Tell him him this morning, I am free in Jesus Christ. 
It's good to know. Thanks for telling us. And so you are a child of God. You are loved by the king. You are set free. You are no longer enslaved. You, you now have eyes to see the truth. 1 Peter 1.14 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Your former ignorance, what you were shaped by, was your thoughts of you, was other thoughts, others, others' thoughts of you. What you did and how you performed, this is what defined your life. If you, are a chi- if you have been redeemed and saved by Jesus Christ... You no longer have to live in the ways of your former ignorance, but you can live as a child of God, as one who is dearly beloved, who is saved, who is set free, who is no longer enchained, who no longer is shackled to the things of this world, but you are free in Christ Jesus as his child, as his son, as a daughter. So, amen. So tools for the battle. These are just some. Tools for the battle that we are a family. And when we love each other, not even as our families have loved us because our families are all broken. Raise your hand if you've got a broken family. All right, okay. That's all of us, cool. Right. <clears throat> but lo- loving each other, part of a holy family, a family that we will be with for all time and eternity, encouraging one another, being present with one another, building bridges one another, that we walk in truth, not lies, not deceit, but in the truth of God's word, that we live in our new identity, not in our former ignorance, in our new identity in Christ Jesus, because the battle of temptation, it is real, and the reality of evil, it is all around us, we know it and we see it every day of our life. So what do we do? Well, again, the tools for the battle, those are some things we can do. But I believe this morning, one thing that we can do is simply ask what Jesus tells us to, right? Maybe sometimes scripture is so simple that we just do what it says. So with every every bit of honesty, every bit that you can to be genuine before the Lord this morning, what if As we close, as we pray, you just say this, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. And maybe you elaborate, lead me not into temptation, and you define it. I know what I'm being tempted by today. Help me, God. Without your help, I will fail. Maybe you say, deliver me from evil. And you cry out and you say, God, you are my only hope against the evil of this world. Maybe you say to Jesus today, I love you more than, define it. Maybe there's something right now in your life that you have been pushing toward a greater love this more than him. Jesus doesn't take second place ever. You can put him there, but he's still not gonna take it. Because for all of us that are gathered today, if you are in Jesus, you are no longer a slave to fear, 
but you are a child of God. And you can declare it this morning. So this morning, I encourage you, will you fight the battle that's already being waged? Recognize it and begin to fight this morning. I believe that one of the ways we fight, we're about to sing a song. And I, some, I think sometimes the way we fight is we just say it with our lips in this room. We say some things that are true. How many times do you just shout out something that's true? So we're gonna sing a song called No Longer Slaves. And the song, what it simply says is, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. And we, we declare it, we claim it, we meditate on it, we, we sit in it and we allow the truth to be spoken to God and allow the truth to invade our hearts and lives that it might define us. So if you will, let's bow this morning. I'm gonna pray. The band's gonna come back up and we're gonna respond. Father, we believe. We believe this morning that your word is true and we believe that there is real temptation that surrounds each and every one of us. And Lord, we all can name it. So Lord, help us today to name it Lord, we we recognize that there is evil that surrounds us. Lord, help us to not act like we are bigger or better than the evil. And Lord, we recognize that the evil could overcome us easily without you. And so, Lord, today, help us to respond, whether it's at these altars, whether it's in our seats, whether it's just in simple declaration of what we're about to sing. But Lord, would your truth form us Lord, would you, would you love us through one another? And Lord, would you, would you help us in all that we do, in all that we do, to live our lives wholly devoted to you, not living in our former ignorance, but living in who you declare us to be. For the person who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray today they would see the sweetness of who you are and what you've done. You, the deliverer, who can ultimately deliver them from evil. And Lord, we we believe and we know that one day all this evil will go away and we will be with you at peace in heaven. But while on this earth, Lord, evil will surround us. And for some, Lord, it will overtake forever and they will be cast away from you. So today, help us to proclaim the truth of who you are, what you've done in our lives. Lord, help the saved respond. And Lord, help those that don't know you today respond. Help us to surrender our lives as we sing. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, let's stand this morning. Let's sing this song together. Declare these words because they are true if you are in Christ Jesus.